Oh my goodness, good morning Storyline. It is so good to be together here, isn't it? Woo! Apparently, we move a lot. And apparently every time we do, I'm scared half to death. And yet here we are. Mm, man, I'm, I'm overwhelmed this morning. So happy to be back, so happy to be together. We keep finding each other no matter, we try to hide apparently, right? We're all over the place, but we keep finding each other and coming together and I hope you're as excited as I am to be here this morning. It has been more than two years, 756 days to be exact, 108 Sunday mornings since we were last together here. It's unbelievable, I cannot believe it. Like Paul said, it's the longest two weeks of of my life. When he called me to say, hey, we can't meet this Sunday, Paul called me and I go, do you think the Sunday after? He said, probably, probably, just give it a week. But so many hands and hearts have come together to make this happen. Will you please join me in thanking all the volunteers who have moved us back here, worked so hard. It's just such a beautiful thing, thank you so much. It really is overwhelming. So Storyline is, I think, 18 years old. Let me think if I, that's right. I was in 10th grade and that's, you know, yes, about 18 years old. And um, we've never had an address. People ask me this all the time. Where is Storyline? You cannot find us on a map. And it's never been true, more true than it is right now. You can't find us on a map because we're right here. And so I, I'm just so thankful again. And, and all of you have demonstrated that once again, that Storyline lives in our hearts, and Storyline is us when we're together, wherever we are, and you've shown such tremendous generosity and faithfulness over the last two years, so thank you. Let's give a round of applause to all of Storyline for for hanging in there, it's been so cool. We are a community with a dream. We are on a mission to bring the love and grace of God to life, and um, we get that that is an honor and a privilege and uh, a joy, and so it's amazing to see that being lived out each and every week, and it's amazing to get to do it here on Sunday mornings together again. So we know that whenever we move, that new people tend to find us, maybe because it's in the neighborhood, or someone's used that as an opportunity or excuse to invite you again, and so if that's you, if you're new, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Now, there are a bunch of storyliners that are uh, on spring break this week, and next week. And so this might actually be a good time for you to make sure that you uh, meet some folks and connect um, the the next couple weeks. Uh, We have uh, teams and groups and uh, all kinds of opportunities to get more involved if that's something that you're interested in, okay? Now before I introduce um, our next series that we're gonna be in the next couple months, I wanted to begin our time together by sharing with you uh, a quote that nine different people sent to me in the last two weeks. It was part of a devotional that I think a lot of people get, and uh, I don't know if everyone who sent it to me knows this, but it's, it's, this particular quote comes from a hero of mine. His name is Father Greg Boyle. He works with, um, does similar work to I did when I was in Los Angeles for eight years, and he continues to do it in working with kind of gang intervention and um, education and ministry. And so I love Father Greg Boyle, but, um, Some of the folks that sent me this quote didn't send it to me because they knew that he was one of my heroes. They just said, this sounds so much like Storyline. And so I wanted to start our time off here together um, with this uh, passage from Greg Boyle because I think it's really uh, fitting for us and who we are. This is what he said. The grace of God always, 
wants to dislodge itself from the places where it gets stuck and embedded in the narrow cultural structure. So we all take steps to free it, to find our way again and again to an expansive tolerance and a high reverence for paradox. We need to allow the church to become a movement again. And I was moved when so many people sent me that quote and said, this feels like storyline to me. And I know that that's also true for me. I hope it is for you. I love that. And I hope and pray that we can live into that vision for what a church could be like more and more. So as we all know, the last two years, um, so much has happened. It's just unbelievable. I started to make a slide and I couldn't fit everything on the slide of, you know, the crap list of all the things that have happened in the country, in our country and in the world. That list is long and it's mostly really bad and I want to add something to it that maybe that you don't know. Since we last met, last met here together, more than 8,000 American churches have closed their doors, have gone under. According to the Barner Research Group, one out of three practicing Christians in America have stopped going to church in the last two years. So it's unbelievable what is happening. It's it's very, very difficult setting and context that we are trying to do church in. And yet against that backdrop in our country and in the world and in the context that we're in with the church in America and what one pollster described as an absolute free fall the church is in. I still come before you this morning filled with gratitude and filled with hope and optimism for who God has called us to be and to try to become and what God has invited us to do together. He's asked us to be his living invitation, his hands, his heart, his feet, to experience and enjoy and embody and extend his gospel of grace to everyone, everywhere, every day. To be a people with whom anyone can belong before they believe, no matter what they believe. It's a beautiful and compelling vision and mission, and we're so grateful for it. And what we're going to be talking about together the next couple of months, I believe, is going to inspire and equip us to live more deeply, to lean more heavily into God's mission of merciful, patient, open-minded, open-handed, open-hearted love and grace. And that means that we recognize, we get really honest with ourselves and with each other about just how precious life is, but also how precarious it is. Way too much so for us to mess around with anything less than talking about the ultimate issues of life. Who are we? Why are we here? What is life for? So my hope for us as a community that, that we, as we return here, that um, it will serve as a reminder uh, to celebrate what God has called us out of, what he's inviting us into, and who he's broken our heart for. So good, guys. So, so good. Love this line from this song. It took a world of trouble. It took a world of tears. It took a long time to get back here. And I know that we all feel that in some sense, and I'm not just talking about this room, right? I think, I think we all know that feeling, like there's some sense of like recovering of normalcy, 
and yet not quite, and the new normal, the world is in disarray. And so the question is, like, where do we go from here? Like, as we re-enter real life, like, what now? What's next? And, and that's what the next couple months are going to be about. We've put a series of talks together for the next two months that are going to draw from the life of Jesus and multiple different encounters in the Bible, as well as the work of a number of theologians and philosophers and social scientists working specifically in the field that is loosely known as stage theory. So um, these are people who study like human beings and how we change and how we grow. And we're gonna look, um, when we ask this question like what's next, where do we go from here? One of the things that I would love to encourage all of us to do is, is to look inward. We're gonna look inward for the next couple months to try to get a better grasp on like where we are, each of us personally, with faith, and with doubt and the hope is that by doing that we'll not only get a better handle on like where we are but we can even be a more welcoming and inclusive a patient and, and gentle and kind community for anyone who might be feeling drawn toward god in his grace now if you think about it all of life is experienced and often actually like just literally described or framed in stages you think about human growth, biological growth. You know, there's infant, toddler, child, adolescent, adult, and then on to super cool and wise. Okay, those are kind of the stages, right? All right, all right, there's my people. Good, yeah, the folks that get to eat uh, uh, cheaper at 3.30 at, at uh, Cracker Barrel. I'll see you there. Yes. So, um, but we see, it, we see this also in nature, right? There's a seed, sapling, sprout, and tree. We see it in sports. There's t-ball, then there's little league, and then there's major league, okay? We, um, we can see it uh, in relationships. We experience this, right? So there's dating, and then there's engaged, and then there's married. And so, right? <laughs> There's stages to everything. I think one of the most telling ways that, that I've seen it work out in real life, psychologically, one theorist, a, a guy named Kohlberg, worked out that there's actually stages of moral development. Some of us might remember this maybe from a psych class in high school or in freshman year of college or something. And emotionally, we also see stages. Many of us have heard of the stages of grief, or now I think it's referred to more as the cycle of grief grief by Kubler and Ross, or by Kubler Ross. Anyways, in every area of life, we use stages to describe reality, like what's happening to us, what's happening around us, and even what's happening within us, right? This awareness that, that we grow in stages has been a huge benefit to humanity. I think it helps give all of us like a handle on things that sometimes seem out of control and bigger than we are when we're, we're confused and we, we can frame things in this stage framework and we go, oh, okay, I, I have a little bit more of an idea of what might be happening to me, around me, or within me. But unfortunately, and I wonder if you'll resonate with this, but unfortunately, when it comes to the life of faith, for some reason, it doesn't feel like that's allowed. Have you ever noticed that? Like faith, this most fundamental part, some you might say the most fragile part of us, like what it is that we trust in, long for, look to, rely on, 
to give our lives meaning and purpose, to find peace and empower resilience and courage in our lives, for some reason, in this critically important area of life, suddenly human beings aren't, uh, we don't progress by stages. We're forced into this binary, we're like light switches. It's either on or off, yes or no, turn or burn, <laughs> believer or atheist. There's like, there's no respect for this idea of stages or process, but that kind of like static binary isn't how anything else in our life works. And I, I think we know it isn't how faith works either. You know, I've been talking to people about God, about life and about faith for about 35 years now. And I've seen far too many people who really do have faith but then they run up against something that's difficult in life or confusing maybe about themselves, something tragic, something weird in the Bible, something out of control about the world, and they start to question. They start to have some difficulty with their faith. They start to doubt, and then they think, oh, I guess I must be out. And they either walk away from faith, or tragically, they're kind of, pushed away by the faithful. And I just think it's so tragic. It's one of the reasons storylines ex exist is that we desperately want to be a community where that's allowed. It's so tragic because in moments of difficulty and doubt, really what we see in the Bible over and over again, these are incredible opportunities to build faith. We don't expect seeds to magically become trees. We, we don't ask babies to file taxes. When a child begins baseball, what do we do? We put the ball on a tee, right? And after two years of that, they start to go, oh, I don't like this anymore. I guess I don't like baseball. We're like, whoa, time out, hold on. It's, you're growing, you're maturing. It's time to take the next step. Let me, throw, let me toss you a pitch to hit it, and then let's see what happens, right? The point is, the life of faith when we're allowed to let down our defenses, when we are in a safe and supportive community, and when we're allowed to be honest about <laughs> where our faith is strong and where it's weak and where it's missing, where we doubt, where it's difficult, we discover that faith is often experienced the same way other areas of life are. It's a process. It's stages. Faith is not a static decision. It's much more like a good story. So look, I love that scene. It's actually a bunch of scenes that were put together uh, in one episode from the middle. Um, but if we're going to be, if we're growing to be a community where anyone can belong before they believe, no matter what they believe, then I think it's going to help us to be aware of and even celebrate that there are stages of faith. And that when someone is moving from one stage to the next, often they are going to ask hard questions, questions that, think that maybe are out of bounds, questions maybe you haven't thought of or wrestled with. They might have doubts, they may have difficulties, and there's really nothing to fear. There's nothing to silence, and there's nothing to hide with that. That maybe really the enemy to growing in our faith is pretending that when, we have, when we're having trouble with it. 
And so now many biblical scholars have talked about this for centuries and that there are lots of different um, ways that we could look at stages of faith. But we're going to use um, a construct that an author named Brian McLaren came up with in his book called Faith After Doubt, where he outlines four developmental stages of faith. And here they are. These are the ones we're going to look at. Simplicity, complexity, perplexity, and harmony. Or another way he puts it is cleaning up, growing up, waking up, and showing up. Now before we briefly look at a passage from the Bible that I think kind of gives us some contours of simplicity, I need to just say, because this is the intro talk for the next eight, okay, I want to give a couple disclaimers about stage theory generally, all right? While stages do, um, are really helpful for us to get a handle on things that we're going through and processing in, in every area of life, they definitely imply a growing maturity. Um, but I want to point out that that has nothing to do with value or belonging. We are where we are in stages, whether it's age, super cool and wise, okay, or um, just, and there's, sometimes there's not a lot that we can do about that, and we're going to talk about that more later, but it doesn't have anything to do with value or belonging, where you might find yourself in these stages as we describe them, okay? For instance, no parent or infant no parent of an infant would deny that a teenager is more mature than their baby, although parents of teenagers might disagree a lot of times, right? Regardless um, of who's more mature, all of us know, everyone knows that teenagers are not superior to infants. They're not loved more. They don't belong, um, they don't belong more to a family because they're more mature. So as we consider stages of faith, let's, let's be careful not to equate stage one as inferior to stage two, which is inferior to stage three. That's not what this is about. And that also means, another disclaimer, that this is not like a how-to series. It's not meant to, to be a series where here's how you quickly move from stage one to stage four, or stage one to stage 10, depending on what you know, frameworks you're looking at. We're simply setting out together to describe how different people in different seasons of life, in different stages of faith, may see and experience their life and the life of faith. You know, as a teacher, one of the things that I get most concerned about when I have students, I teach high school age kids, and one of the things I get most concerned about with students is, is when they're not acting their age when they show up and they're acting like an adult, or when they show up and they're acting like a child, right? In both cases, something's off. Something's dysfunctional. Something's not going right, because they're not living true to their stage. So when we frame faith as a growing story within us, not this binary yes or no, questions, doubts, and difficulties, become doorways to the next stage instead of obstacles or reasons to walk away. And so that's why we're looking at it, that, at this. This series is about growing all of our awareness of that this is how uh, faith is often approached and experienced by each of us so that we can, frankly, be more merciful with ourselves and more encouraging and accepting of one another because we're all in different places, right? Right? 
So with that, I want, I'm going to talk a little bit about simplicity, introduce that idea, and then we're going to take a quick look at a Bible passage. So simplicity is the stage that we are raised into. When we see parents of toddlers um, parenting their children, that's what they're doing. They're bringing them into this world of yes and no, and a, and a lot of no, right? So you may or you may not. This is safe. That is dangerous. Simplicity. My mother likes to tell this story about me when I was a toddler, walking up to our street, and I got right up to the edge of the street, and she yelled at me, Michael, don't you put one foot in that street. And I looked at the street, and I looked back at her, and I looked at the street, and I went like this. <laughs> I know, a real rebel. It, it, went, went down, it was a downward spiral from there, right? But the rules, the black and white rules, the right and the wrong, are truly a survival issue at this point, in this stage of simplicity. We see it most with little kids. They don't even know what they can put in their mouth or not, right? What's edible, what's poisonous. So because of all of that, this stage tends to be very authority-focused. And it's, um, you know, as it is for children. So people who um, are resonating with the stage of simplicity are very focused on authority figures. It's very important to, to folks experiencing faith in stage one to be approved of by the authority figure. A couple of weeks ago, Lisa and I were in Gulf Shores watching my daughter play beach volleyball, um, and we met some of her teammates' parents. And as when you meet people, obviously, sooner or later, people ask you, what do you do? And I just hate that question because I have no idea how to explain this, right? Whatever the heck it is I'm doing up here, and I know you're thinking the same thing right now. And so, <laughs> Anyways, I end up usually saying something like, well, I'm the lead teacher at our church, and all the air goes out of the room, right? Everything changes when that happens. All of a sudden, I'm the God guy, and no one wants a beer or complains about the refs or cusses when we lose, except for Lisa. And so, <laughs> you're right, she's not here. Okay, right. So, now, now storyliners, you guys know me well enough that, that you guys... I'm just a regular person. So storyliners, they gripe about the refs to me. They'll tell me inappropriate jokes. They swear like sailors, and that's just, that's just Emily and Tracy, our Kidport directors, okay? That's a rough crowd, right? Anyways, simplicity is the stage of, it's the stage of easy answers. It needs to be. It should be. That's a good thing. So like when, when a child... Um, when a novice asks a question about something, uh, we don't usually answer with, well, hey, it just depends. There's so many different ways to look at this. No, we, we give them a concrete answer that's usually associated with something to do or not to do. In other words, they get a hard and a fast rule, a clear rule. In this stage, everything is either known or knowable, and all that stands between us and flourishing is the correct answer. Just tell me what to do, where to go. So the other thing about simplicity is that means that doubt and questions aren't really welcome all that much. When that starts to creep up in stage one, you can panic, and you could be forced out, or you could go, gosh, I guess I'm out of here. Or in the right setting, in the right kind of community, you start to recognize it as, oh, this is okay. M maybe this is part of what's next for me. 
But oriented from this stage, when things don't work out, it's because the wrong authority or the wrong group is making rules and they must be defeated at all costs. And if this sounds a lot like the state of our politics, then you're catching on. Our politics, I would argue, is just absolutely stuck in stage one thinking. And we've all experienced people who might be stuck in this stage. A person or a certain religious community or uh, someone who's super, you know, political and they're in stage one and questions and doubts and pushback, they're, they're just not allowed. And conformity is, is absolutely demanded. I have um, a Lutheran friend, good buddy of mine, and, um, who's very traditional, and I love the Lutheran church. When I first became a follower of Jesus, that's where I first learned about the faith, was in a Lutheran church. I'm a big fan of Martin Luther, but my friend used to give me a really hard time about storyline. You know, he came a couple times, and, and, and he was like, what in the crap is going on? What are you guys doing and not doing? Until one day he just point blanked me. He goes, Mike, what is it with all the secular music and the videos and this new way of doing church? Where'd you get that idea? And I was like, oh, this is just too, he teed it up for me. I'm like, I smile and I go, Martin Luther. He doesn't say much anymore, right? But Martin Luther is somebody that totally transformed how church was done. In the simplicity stage of, of development, we also, we find meaning by belonging to the right in-group. It's really, really important. Like my denomination or my group, the way I see it, my political ideology, my religion, we're the right one, the correct one, the pure one. And if you disagree, you can hit the road, right? Our group is normal. Now, I need to mention this as a real quick aside because I wrote a second talk this morning right here at this point that is like 30 minutes long. And so I'm just going to say two minutes about this because I, I do think it is important for us because a lot of social scientists are now beginning to see, see this and study this, that when you are born and raised into a society in which your identity whether that your identity is based in your ethnicity or your race or your nationality or maybe your religion, when you're part of the majority in the stage of simplicity, you can make being in the majority normative, which just means that the way that I am, it's, that's normal. And anyone who's any different is abnormal. And if they want to belong, they have to become like us. Now, that feels like, uh, it can, and it can, if, if, if there's any pressure in reverse, like, hey, maybe you should just hold the mirror up to yourself and ask yourself what makes you normal. Any pushback like that on your religion or on your politics or on how you view your country or whatever it can be a real threat. And, and right here is where I just kind of go off for 20 minutes in my, in my uh, fantasy here about, because that's, it's really, really super unfortunate for our country that that's experienced that way by many people, but it is absolutely tragic for the church. It's absolutely tragic for the church, and I'm hoping that we'll get to pick this theme up a little bit over the course of the next eight weeks. But anyways, I, I wanted to mention that this morning. But, and all of that brings us to our, our, our Bible story this morning. I want to quickly talk about the prophet Jonah. And uh, we're all probably somewhat familiar with this story. It's the guy who gets swallowed by a whale, right? So God calls Jonah to another country. That's how the story begins. To uh, specifically the city of Nineveh. 
And he wants Jonah to go over there to share the good news of God's love with them. And Jonah doesn't want to do it. Because it's, it's like pushing his like black and white, right and wrong, who's in, who's out notions right to the breaking point. So Jonah is faced with a choice. He's like either faces the limitations of this like simple static binary faith that he's always had that he, assumed is, he assumes is normative and everyone else has to figure out to become like him. He either has to challenge that or he can retreat, like and retrench, like double down. And that's what he does. He literally jumps on a boat going in the opposite direction. It's just so symbolic in my mind. Like it's as if he's trying to go backward, like to go back in time to the good old days, right? What, like where he, I, and I know the feeling. I'm sure a lot of us do around different areas of our life. Like, oh, can't we just go back to how it was? Can't we do that? And that's what Jonah is trying to do. He's trying to go to a setting where life was straightforward, where he could tell who the good guys and the bad guys were. It's just obvious. And here's the most important part, where he had God all figured out. He had God all figured out. Well, there's this huge storm when Noah's on this boat. The sailors determine it's Jonah's fault. Jonah goes overboard, and he's swallowed by a whale. And in the belly of this whale, for three days, Jonah repents. He basically says to God, okay, God, I'll go to this other country, and I'll share your good news. So the whale spits him out. Jonah goes to Nineveh, and it works. It's like a miracle. Like the people of Nineveh, Nineveh turn towards God in his love. God pours out his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. Forgiveness, it's this wonderful, beautiful story, except for one thing. Jonah is not happy. Jonah is not happy about it at all. In fact, the Bible says this. To Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Isn't that fascinating? Why? Because God's breaking the rules. Even the rules are bigger than God. What's that tell you? The rules are God for Jonah. Jonah's simple world is disintegrating around him. You see, so here's the thing. This story itself is like a classic one for the simplicity stage of faith because it's a man swallowed by a whale, believe it. And if you don't, you're out, right? Sometimes that's how we're made to feel. In Sunday school, you know, we draw pictures about it and it seems just perfectly fine, right? Nothing wrong with that. It happens all the time. But it's the quintessential story for the stage of simplicity. Yet for some of us, a story like this is not literally believable. But if we're surrounded by folks who only allow for faith to be experienced and expressed in stage one, simplistic yes or no, in or out terms, we can be in real trouble, like Brick was at the beginning of that, that video when you start to ask uncomfortable questions because we're going to either be forced to pretend or to leave. And that's what we want to avoid as a community. We never want one another or anyone to feel that way. And so what the Bible is suggesting here is that that's a false choice. That's really what the, the story of Jonah is about because the point of the story of Jonah isn't about believing it. That's not the challenge of the story of Jonah. Like, do you really believe a whale swallowed him for three days, okay? The challenge of the story of Jonah is, are we going to trust in God? 
Are we really trusting in God and his goodness and his love for other people who aren't just like us? Now, I'm not suggesting that this story is not historically or literally true. I'm not suggesting that for a second. That's not my point at all. I'm suggesting that if we allow ourselves and others to voice our hesitations, our questions, and our doubts, when life doesn't just show up every day, just teed up for us like a t-ball, okay? Are we allowed to lament? Are we in a community, are we the kind of community that allows one another to just let it all hang out? If we'll do that, 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 then doubt becomes a doorway. It doesn't mean that we're disqualified. It just means that the story, our story, is still unfolding, which is exactly what God is doing with Jonah here in this story. He is guiding Jonah toward and through doubt into a growing trust in God's goodness and love. Now, keep in mind that the reason Jonah doesn't like the people God sent him to is because they're not just like him. And while his preaching turns their hearts around, his wasn't changed at all. He was right. Everything Jonah said was right. It was accurate, all highly valued in this stage of simplicity. But he wasn't what God wanted most, which was loving. And maybe God is saying being right isn't good enough. Maybe simplicity can get us started but it can't get us to where God is leading us to. And here's what I think, here's what I hope that we're going to see over the course of the next couple months, and we're gonna see it again and again in this series, is how doubt and difficulties in a supportive community can be a doorway to deepening and maturing faith in God and his grace. Because the only alternative, folks, is to jump off the boat or to get thrown off the boat into this storm alone. And that is, we, we cannot thrive that way. We need one another. And, and we desperately want and need to become a community like that for everyone, regardless of where they are. So maybe the point of the story isn't Jonah was swallowed by a whale, but he was consumed by his own concrete, immovable, static, and brittle faith that he thought everyone else had to see just exactly like him. And really what God is doing in this story is inviting Jonah to move forward with him by giving him a heart for other people. See, Jonah believes that God deeply wants Jonah to just be accurate and pure, but that isn't what this, we see in this story. What we see in this story is the love of God and the life of faith and his love just isn't that simple. It's not that simple. I'd like to close this morning in this introductory talk to this series with a a little bit of a longer passage from C.S. Lewis. It's from, and then Mike's gonna come out and sing a song for us, but this is from the Screwtape Letters. It's a brilliant little book written by C.S. Lewis where he takes on the voice in this book is a senior devil um, giving advice to a junior devil about how to tempt human beings, how to lead them away from God, okay? So in doing so, Lewis gives us, I think, great insight 
into the goal that God has for each of us. This is what it says. Now, it may surprise you to learn in the enemies, now this is a devil speaking, so that's God, the enemy is God, to learn in that God's efforts to get permanent possession of a soul, he relies on the troughs or the doubts and the difficulties, even more than the peaks. Some of his special favorites have gone through longer and deeper troughs than anyone else. And the reason is this. To us, devils, a human is primarily food. Our aim is the absorption of its will into ours, the increase of our area of selfhood at its expense. But the obedience which the enemy, God, demands from men is quite a different thing. One must face the fact that all the talk about God's love for men and his service being perfect freedom is not mere propaganda, but an appalling truth. God really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself. Creatures whose life on a miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own, not because he's absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. We, devils, want cattle who can finally become food. God wants servants who can finally become sons. We want to suck in. He wants to give out. We are empty and would be filled. He is full and flows over. Our aim is a world in which our father below, Satan, has drawn all beings into himself. God wants a world full of beings united to him, but still distinct. Oh, what a vision for God. And it isn't beyond simplicity. It includes simplicity. It just doesn't stop there. You see, maybe the story of Jonah isn't really about Jonah or about a whale as much as it is about a God who loves us recklessly, whose grace and mercy are deeper and wider than simple rules or religion can contain. So beautiful, Michael. Look, I think we all know this, but if you know what it is to doubt what you believe at times, to be confused by life, or by what someone or some church told you you had to think or believe or accept in order to be loved by God, then you know the story of Jonah and the choice of Jonah. We can, in those moments, we can jump off the boat, set sail, um, in the opposite direction of God when that happens, or we can come together and cultivate a loving and supporting community because we recognize that God is up to something good in each and every one of us all the time, every day, in the difficulties and in the doubt. There is a wideness in God's mercy that can't be fully appreciated by a simple black and white, simple faith. Maybe God is more complex than we've imagined. And that's where we're headed next week, and I hope you join us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this time in this place. 
I'm just, just overjoyed to be back here together, so grateful for this community and the ways that you love and support me and my family through this community. God, I pray that you would break our hearts for the people your heart is broken for, that we would see one another as children of God, that we would respect one another regardless of what we believe or if we believe or where we're at on any continuum or stage, that all the pride and ego would fall off and that we would step into your kind of life, which is other-centered, broken-hearted, always giving. Help us this week to see our life that way, to look for opportunities to live like you do. God, I pray that as we leave here this morning, you would help us to grow and remain open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for coming, folks. It's great to see you. We'll see you next week.